Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.34 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 27th of October, 2021, and this is episode 499 of Bitcoin, and we're almost to 500, I guess. <laughs> One more show, and I'll hit 500. As you'll notice, I don't do... I'm not good at marketing, okay? <laughs> I'm just not, and that's okay. Uh, I, I don't want to suffer the slings and arrows of you know, Dieter Bob, if I were to say, hey, we're doing a giveaway for the 500th show, you know, make sure you listen and, and, and tell all your friends and do this and do that and, and retweet five times. Otherwise you won't be entered into the contest. Yeah, I, 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 I just, I can't. I just, I can't with that. You know, I'd rather just get organic support for the show. And so, you know, again, I'll ask if you want to support the show, if you want to do it in dirty fiat, I've got a Patreon page, the Bitcoin and podcast. Uh, <clears throat> uh, let's see, uh, the, my Twitter, uh, I am have allowed tips on Twitter if you want to do it that way. I have, you know, like I, I use a podcasting 2.0 app and stream me sats. Uh, it'll go right to my node and no intermediaries involved. Or... If you don't want to do any of that, if you just give me your time, you know, and like, I don't know, five-star review on Apple iTunes always helps. Uh, it's been helping a lot lately, in fact. Um, you know, just to retweet my, you know, my show tweets. I, you know, do do the things. Let, let people know. If they want to get the news on a daily basis about what's going on with Bitcoin and sometimes the wider crypto world because these articles sometimes I, I will end up reading an article and they go into crypto and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. But it's, it's all there. So, and it's there every day. And if the, if you, you know, if you want to help me out that way, that works too. Now, speaking of helping somebody out, <laughs> future proof started a, uh, a thread on Twitter and basically what he's doing is he's got this book called The New Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency by an author named John Seymour. Uh, John Seymour was a famous author. He died in 2004, uh, but he had been writing books since 1951. And this particular book, The New Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency, a classic guide for realists and dreamers, takes you through all manner of different kinds of homesteading things, how to butcher an animal how to do a correct kill on an animal, the kinds of tools that you need for gardening, farming, small homesteading, that, that kind of thing. It's a nice looking book. Um, I've, I've, you know, leafed through a few pages of it at one of my favorite store bookstores in um, Durango, Colorado called Maria's Bookshop. If you ever find yourself in, in Durango, Colorado, on Main Street, go find yourself Maria's Bookshop and look and in wonder at what an old bookshop used to be. I can walk into this bookstore and I can find something. I can walk into any Barnes and Noble and find nothing. It's amazing. I don't know how it works because Maria's Bookshop is, oh, I don't know, maybe a thousand square feet maybe 1500 tops and somehow or another they have a book that I will be interested in whether it's gardening homesteading fiction um history you know anything there's always something there and that's what a bookstore should be but I digress because what I wanted to go through was that this book being written by the author, you know, being named John Seymour, I, I just kind of looked into his uh, his past to see what kinds of stuff he has written in 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 the past. 
And wow, the man is prolific. Uh, the Hard Way to India in 1951 was his first book in his bibliography. Boys in the uh, Bundu, Roundabout India, One Man's Africa, Sailing Through England, The Fat of the Land, On My Own Terms, uh, Voyage into England, The Companion Guide to East Anglia, About Pembrokeshire, The Book of Boswell, uh, Self-Sufficiency. Uh, that's the one that we're you know probably talking about, and I think that was done in 1973. Actually, that may be a... a, a, a uh, yeah, th I think that that may be a, a, pri a prior book to the one that I'm talking about. But he's also got Farming for Self-Sufficiency, Independence on a Five-Acre Farm. Uh, it was, let's see, Bring Me My Bow, Keep It Simple, The Countryside Explained, The Self-Sufficient Gardener, John Seymour's Gardening Book, Gardener's Delight, Getting It Together, The Lore of the Land, the Woodlander, The Smallholder, The Shepherd, The Forgotten Arts, Far From Paradise, A Blueprint for a Green Planet, The Forgotten Household Crafts, Changing Lifestyles, Rural Life, Blessed Isles, Seymour's Seamarks, Retrieve from the Future, Rye from the Water's Edge, Playing It for Laughs, The, for the Forgotten Arts and Crafts, The New Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency, The Self-Sufficient Life and How to Live It, The Fat of the Land, I'm a Stranger Here Myself, the story of a Welsh farm, the fat of the land uh, is, uh, I guess, a revised edition. Yeah, a new edition uh, of the 2008 classic, the fat of the land. So what do we have here? We've got an author that goes from fiction, history, and like practical self-sufficiency and gardening and like, you know, how to, how to work land. And all of it's connected. It, it like this John Seymour guy, basically, he, his head was firmly planted in the old school of living a life, a, a life well lived, right? And so I've talked about this before. What is wealth? Is wealth the amount of money in your bank? Is there a bridging number that you have to pass before you can consider yourself wealthy simply by the fiat currency number represented in a bank account? And we all know that you don't own that money. That money belongs to the bank. You're just renting it sort of in, a, in a roundabout fashion. What is real wealth? You know, how do you, do you, do you know how to do like all these different things? Do you know how to like, you know, if it came down to it, would you starve to death without anything but the animals on the land? You know, I mean, we really need to reconceptualize what wealth and living a well-lived life actually means. Because honestly, dropping a quarter million dollars on a fucking car just doesn't sound like that's a life well-lived. In fact, what that sounds like to me is a headache in the making. Because if you didn't know, a Lamborghini timing chain cha uh, change at the maintenance is $50,000 for the new chains and to have them put on you're looking at 50 grand on top of the $250,000 that you already paid for the car. All right, so is that wealth or is it a headache? I don't know. I honestly just really don't care anymore because the FDIC chairman says that US regulators are exploring how banks could hold Bitcoin. The FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and they're the guys that will give you all your money back, supposedly. If the bank that you have your money in goes belly up, you're insured for up to like $100,000. I think it's $100,000 per bank account or per account per bank. So if you have two accounts in one bank, you're only getting $100,000. So I guess you could say like per bank. Anyway, so <clears throat> this is... From who is it? Oh God, who guess who from Bitcoin magazine, Namcios. Jesus, dude writes just does nothing but write. A team of US bank regulators is trying to provide a more straightforward path for banks to engage with and hold Bitcoin, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC chairman said. FDIC Chair Jelena McWilliams told Reuters in an interview on October the 26th that a team of U.S. bank regulators is working on a more precise set of rules for banks interested in engaging with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. That would clarify how U.S. banks could hold BTC in custody to facilitate client trading, use it as collateral for loans, or even hold them on their balance sheets. Quote, I think that we need to allow banks in this space. 
while appropriately managing and mitigating risks. If we don't bring this activity inside the banks, it is going to develop outside of the banks. The federal regulators won't be able to regulate it, McWilliams said. The FDIC is one of three leading U.S. bank regulators, including the Federal Reserve and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. In May, Fed Vice Chair of Supervision Randall Quarles said the three agencies were working together on a sprint on cryptocurrency regulation. McWilliams's remarks indicate that might be starting to bear fruit. If the task force moves forward to approve a clear path for interested U.S. banks to hold Bitcoin, a whole new suite of offerings would be available for customers. A Bitcoin holder faced with unexpected dollar expenses could loan it in their usual bank, for instance, rather than coordinating multiple accounts. But perhaps more importantly, this opens up the opportunity for traditional U.S. banks to hold BTC in their balance sheets, a scarce asset that has the power to counteract the huge amounts of debt such institutions issue. Although this development by the FDIC paves the way for easier mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, users are still economically incentivized to learn and custody their own coins. The only option for unlocking Bitcoin's true potential. Yeah, always hold your own keys. But, you know, the masses are coming. It's just going to take a while. And yeah, I know we're, we're, we're looking at a dip today. And I don't understand it either, ladies and gentlemen. I don't get it. I sit there, I'll, I will look at a chart after like a, a massive rise and then like a dip and the dip is happening amongst all manner of news. Like we got like the news yesterday that like it was like 1.4 to 1.7 billion people, billion with a B, are now officially living under double digit or triple digit inflation. That's like a sixth of the world's population is now officially under double or triple digit inflation. And yet we see a, a dip in Bitcoin price. I don't get it, man. I just, I, I don't. It, and it's like, it's really, really maddening to watch, but you know, it is what it is. Continuing with William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph, we have this one. Bitcoin price dip matches October 2017 with BTC explosion still forecast before 2022. Now, guys, I try usually not to go and do like uh, stories about market analysis, but this one's actually kind of interesting. So that's why I'm doing it. Bitcoin has dipped below 60,000. Ugh, the horror. But BTC price action is still mimicking the eye-popping 2017 bull run. Uh, the latest data covering Bitcoin's current halving cycle versus its previous one shows just how similar 2017 and 2021 really are. Bitcoin has had its ups and downs this year, but as Cointelegraph reported, BTC has all but copy-pasted its 2017 fractal all along. Fresh analysis delivers the same conclusion, and for those concerned about October 27th's drop to 58,000, ooh, the 58K gang in full swing, even this is nothing new. Astonishingly, the dates of price phenomena in September and October 2021 practically match 2017. Popular Twitter account Smart Crypto, which noticed the trend, called for an explosion in time for 2022. Utilizing Fibonacci sequences, should the rest of the quarter follow the same timeline as four years ago, significantly higher prices are in store for Bitcoin, being an order of magnitude higher uh, than the 2017 peak, these prices could hit $300,000. In the short term, however, those overly long on BTC may face some serious pains, analysts warn. Flibflib, the trader who forecast a potential drop to 50000 this week, reiterated on October the 27th that even 57000 looks to be unreliable as a potential price floor. Funding rates continue to decrease as BTC hovered around 59 k prior to the United States market opening. Okay, so what he's got, there's a couple of graphs here or a couple of charts here. And one is a chart from 2017 and the other one is a chart from 2021. And they both are on the exact same time scale showing August, September, October, and November of 2017 and August, September, and October. We're not into November yet, but November's on the, on the chart of 2021. 
And honestly, I, even I'm looking at it going, holy shit, even I can see this. It is almost the exact same chart. It's very scary looking, looking at it because it's like, how in the hell? Because this looks coordinated. However, there's no way that this shit could be coordinated. Not, not to this degree. Because the retrace that we just saw hit the 0.236 Fibonacci line. The one that happened on October the 20th in 2017 was 0.236. It's the exact same Fibonacci. It, it, it's, it's uncanny. The, the, I won't go through, through it anymore. I'm just saying that everything about these two charts, you could lay them on top of each other and almost have the exact same chart with almost minimal deviance on a day-to-day -day basis. If that doesn't kind of blow your mind, I don't know what what will because it certainly is blowing mind just like this one. Central banking then and now. Mm, and who's writing this one? Is it Namsios? Nope, it's a man or a woman named Shill Scale. <clears throat> uh, how did the Federal Reserve System come to be? The answer to that requires a look back in time. Jekyll Island in Georgia was home to a secret meeting of the elites. And in this meeting, the idea of creating a Federal Reserve System was planned out. The birth of a banking cartel was conceived as well as the strategy to convince Congress to hand over the power of the purse to the Federal Reserve and convince the public that it was a government agency when it wasn't and still isn't. Here is a look at some of the people that were involved in the meeting. In 1910, Nelson Aldrich, Senator from Rhode Island, one of the most powerful men in the Senate and in Washington, D.C. He was considered a spokesperson for big business and would frequent Wall Street. He was an associate of J.P. Morgan and had extensive holdings in banking, manufacturing, and public utilities. His son-in-law was John D. Rockefeller Jr. During that meeting, he spent time with a few other elites, including... Abraham Pyatt Andrew, Assistant Secretary of the United States Treasury. Frank Vanderlip, President of the National City Bank of New York. Henry Davison, Senior Partner at J.P. Morgan. Charles Norton, President of J.P. Morgan's First National Bank in New York. Benjamin Strong, Head of J.P. Morgan's Bankers Trust Company. Paul Warburg, a Partner in Kuhn, Loeb & Company, a representative of the Rothschild Banking Dynasty in France and England. According to the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin, the mission of the meeting was to centralize wealth among the elites as up to 25% of the world's wealth resided in members of the elite Jekyll Island Club. <clears throat> in the United States, the two main focal points of this control were the Morgan Group and the Rockefeller Group. Within each group, there were a bevy of commercial banks, investment firms, and acceptance banks. The structure of this club was entirely a textbook cartel. A cartel is a group of independent businesses which coordinate production, pricing, and marketing to their members. The purpose of a cartel is to stifle competition and increase profitability, thus sharing a monopoly over their shared interest. This cartel of bankers teamed up to ensure that their wealth and subsequent power could not be tested. According to the creature from Jekyll Island, in 1910, the number of banks were increasing rapidly and increasing competition. Therefore, the established cartel's monopoly that was being run by the Morgans, Rothschilds, and other prominent bankers was in jeopardy. And by 1913, non-national banks made up 71% of the market and held 57% of the deposits. This was a trend that the cartel did not like and a reversal was needed. Therefore... The cartel met to discuss the plans to reestablish their grip on the monopoly that they were losing and to address the challenges that they were facing. And they identified ways to, one, stop the growing influence of small rival banks to ensure that control over the na nation's financial resources would remain in the hands of the Jekyll Island Club. Two, make the money supply elastic in order to reverse the trend of private capital formation and to recapture the loan market. Three, Pool the reserves of the nation's banks into one large reserve so that all major banks will follow. Four, point blame on the taxpayers should the financial system collapse at any point and shift losses from the owners of the, of the banks to the taxpayers. And five, find a way to convince Congress that it was for the public's best interest.
at the time. The American public was skeptical of a cartel, knowing that for years prior, these same conglomerates were seeking to maintain influence all the way back to the Revolutionary War. The group knew that using the literal words cartel and bank would cause the public to push back against them. Warburg, who had extensive knowledge and because of such became a dominant force within this group, came up with the term Federal Reserve System, and he would subsequently work with Senator Aldrich to craft the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. This brief look into history shows the flaws of our current system. One, where we no longer are sovereign. Our money is not sovereign and neither is our nation. We are subject to a cartel of bankers who have desires to use our money against us and for surveillance to limit our speech and access to information. The cartel exists solely to ensure their wealth. And all the while, the taxpayers are footing the bill to keep those bankers afloat. In 1971, that was the final nail in the coffin, giving the Federal Reserve System the power to print money and to do so without adhering to the gold standard. There has never been an audit of the Federal Reserve, and there never will be. Following the market crash in 2008, taxpayers were blamed for the lending faults of the big banks that were, quote, too big to fail. This set the precedent that now, whenever there is a financial calamity, the taxpayers, not the bankers, will foot the bill. Subsequently, in 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto issued the Bitcoin white paper. This was pushback on the cartel and they knew it. The central banking system will push back on those who hold Bitcoin and they are going to lobby the politicians that they control to ensure that their power and their wealth remains unscathed. We are pawns in their game. Bitcoin, however, gives us strength to push back on the establishment and it gives us hope to endure what is to come. This financial establishment will not hand over the keys to the castle in peace. We must remain strong in our principles and do what we must to ensure a future that embraces sovereignty of not only ourselves, but our money and our nation. And that's the end of the article, but that's not the end of the patriotism here. You can be a patriot of the United States of America and not like one bit of the federal government. And that's exactly where I'm at. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There are not many people in the world that want to leave their country of birth, their country of origin. Why? It's their country, bro. That's part of being a patriot. It's not about adhering to the rules of their, your federal government that makes you a patriot. What makes you a patriot is your love for the land that you were born on, your love for the people that you were born around, right? Nobody, I'm not going to say nobody. There are some people that desperately want to get out because they just hate their country. I guess they're hate, they hate their countrymen. But guys, that is very few and far between. That's got to be a sliver of a single percentage point, right? Most people don't want to leave their country of origin. The reason they do is because they have to. And I don't want to leave the United States. I want to stay and fight. I just don't know how, what you know, arsenal these assholes are going to pull, you know, and, and what, what, what weaponry is going to be leveled at me next? I mean, we've already got Janet Yellen talking about, you know, uh, unrealized capital gains tax. And today the, the Democrats have unveiled their bill for just such a thing. And it's pretty, pretty nasty. You know, at, at what point do we just say enough? And I don't know what that point is. It's, it's almost like, you know, sadly, I'm coming to, I guess I'm coming to the realization that as a species and as a mass, humanity is easily manipulated. So very easily manipulated <clears throat> that it's no surprise that we see massive pockets of wealth in the, in, well, in the pockets of very, very few individuals because they understand marketing. This is one of the reasons why I'm not a good marketer. I don't want to get good at it because to me, it just seems like manipulation. I, I think that there's probably a way for me to learn some, some good marketing skills that, that don't like rankle my ethics. But what I'm seeing here and what I've, you know, reading through history, what I've seen is basically just nothing but marketing. And it works and it's sad and unethical and immoral. And we've got to do everything that we can to get out of it. Let's break out of that sad little rant and say, and, and get to this one from Scott Cipollina from decrypt.co. There's only room for three or four Bitcoin ETFs, says Valkyrie Fund CIO. Well, of course, 
<clears throat> of course you would say that. He may be right, he may be wrong. Let's find out. <clears throat> Steve McClure, Chief Investment Officer of Valkyrie Funds, the company behind the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF, said that there is probably only room for a very few U.S. Bitcoin futures ETFs. Quote, as it grows, there's probably only room for really three or four of us, he told CNBC during a recent interview. You smacks of a cartel, does it not? The Chicago Mercantile Exchange has limited issuers to 2,000 contracts for October and 4,000 for November. If the Bitcoin futures ETF space grows, said McClurg, I think the CME will extend those limits. McClurg emphasized that he was pro-competition in the space, saying the best strategy is actually to open up the playing field and letting other ETF issuers in. Man, this sounds very, very familiar. The Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF is a Bitcoin futures ETF, meaning that users don't receive shares backed by Bitcoin, but shares tied to Bitcoin's price futures or contracts to buy Bitcoin at a later date. However, McClurg is not necessarily worried about tracking Bitcoin's price. Futures trading is regulated by the CME. One of the most important aspects of that regulation is setting a limit on the number of futures contracts that an issuer like Valkyrie can have per month. And if that limit is exceeded, the futures ETF can buy futures contracts for months in advance. This could, in theory, result in what is described as contango when futures prices are higher than the current price of the underlying asset. To avoid that, McClurg told CNBC that Valkyrie sticks with the front months and we show that we're tracking futures really closely, end quote. Given current CME limits, McClurg noted there's a lot of room for us and others to come into the space. You've already hit against those limits with, I don't know, that's confusing. A lot of room for us and others to come into the space. Okay. Anyway, uh, you've already hit against those limits with 4,000 contracts in October, which means that you have to keep rolling out to the future months. So we're going to see others having more tracking error if they have to go to those other months. Rival Bitcoin futures ETF ProShares is seeking an exemption from trading limits. Its CEO, Michael Sapper, said the firm has filed for this exemption with the CME, as well as saying that ProShares will request permission to invest in other kinds of derivatives contracts. Quote, even though we're going up against the biggest ETF launch of all time and a firm that's already gathered $1.2 billion, I think we're going to do quite well. McClurg added, speaking on the historic ProShares ETF debut that saw almost $1 billion traded in its first day. Only one U.S. ETF has hit $1 billion on the first day of trading, BlackRock's Carbon Transition Readiness ETF, which launched in April of this year. So there you go. I Again, it's not outside the realm of possibility that cartels are going to form around this space, which is why it's so critical that you hold your own keys. Do not trust these ass wipes at all. Because they're, I, I just, I got a, I got a bad feeling about this, man. I got a bad feeling, and I'm, I'm not talking about a you know, bad feeling affecting the price. Price is gonna do what price is gonna do. I got nothing to do with that shit. Neither do you. You, you can't control it, and I can't control it. So let's, you know, let's just move on with our lives. Just make sure that as these ass wipes do what ass wipes do, and market their crap, and try to convince people in power that they're doing good and we're all going to be rich together and we're going to squat on the, the little man, they will be correct because they will squat on those that do not hold their keys. Okay. Don't allow yourself to be squatted upon. Hold your own keys, hold your own coin. Do not loan it out. Just, just buy Bitcoin and hold your Bitcoin and maybe we'll all end up partying in Latin America because they stand to benefit most from crypto, says Uphold Executive Cointelegraph's Iran Karaman is writing this one. El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption has triggered a digital asset revolution in Latin America, and the region could benefit even more if people can exchange cryptocurrencies, fiat money, and the upcoming bank uh, or upcoming central bank digital currencies on the exact same infrastructures, said the head of multi-currency investment platform Uphold. Speaking to Cointelegraph, Uphold CEO JP Thero underscored that the nature of life in Latin America begs for Bitcoin-based 
use cases, saying that the region will benefit the most as crypto adoption continues to grow. Venezuela and Colombia are the two most prominent crypto adopters in the region besides El Salvador. However, other nations are closing the gap rather quickly with El Salvador acting as a catalyst. Of Uphold 7 million users, 1.4 million originate from Latin America and the high adoption rate in the region continues to attract global players. Bitcoin would be embraced first by the unbanked and those who send or receive remittances, he said. However, CBDCs would become more popular than the largest cryptocurrency for merchants. Quote, many businesses may understandably prefer something stable for transactions, but investment portfolios would be much more benefited by Bitcoin. Continuing, he said, <clears throat> with the appropriate channels in place to convert between Bitcoin, U.S. dollars, and any potential CBDCs, users could really just use whichever form of currency works best for their particular use case, end quote. Speaking of CBDCs, he noted that not every country needs to make its own digital currency as it would be easy to adopt an existing one. He added that the main goal for Latin American countries should be a functional system where anyone in the region could simply exchange between assets. As Thoreau mentioned, Latin America has enjoyed significant growth in crypto funding in 2021. Mexican cryptocurrency exchange Bitso became the first crypto unicorn of the region thanks to a $250 million Series C capital raise in May. Mercado Bitcoin, a Brazilian crypto exchange, also completed a mega funding round, securing $200 million in SoftBank financing. Well, that's fantastic, and we expect many more coming, Thoreau commented, adding, quote, Seeing as banking the unbanked is one of the main philosophical and practical pillars of cryptocurrency, this could mean offering people for the first time access to financial services that rival or surpass anything in the legacy system, end quote. This means families who are dependent on remittances don't have to see 20 to, or 10 to 20% of their income siphoned off by money transfer companies. He continued, this means that literally anyone can begin building an investment portfolio. It will basically change the standard of living. Hell yeah. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids are down, well, except for natural gas. West Texas Intermediate is down over one and a half points to $83.27 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down over, oh, damn near two full points to $84.84. While natural gas is seeing a one and a half point rise to $5.97. Gasoline, however, is taking it on the chin over two points to the downside, back under $2.50 a gallon. Good news for the people on the East and West Coast, I guess. Shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold is up scant, but still under $1,800 at $1,794.50. Silver is up 0.4% to $24.18. Platinum, copper, and palladium all seeing over 1.5% dips right now. Um, Dow is going, wait a minute, hold on. Oh, ag, ag is, well, ag is mostly up except for coffee, which is down 2.74%. The big winner today in ag, corn. <laughs> it's the corn, baby. 2.76% to the upside. Now, indices, Dow is down 0.3%. S&P is down 0.01%. NASDAQ is up 0.64% and the S&P mini, uh, mini is down almost a full point, 0.81% in fact. But real money begs us to you know get our eyes on it. Yes, we are under $60,000 again. $59,091.24 with 230, nope, 290,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's just over 12,000 transactions every hour on the hour with almost a million Bitcoin trading hands over that period. 39,000 BTC is being sent on average every hour and the average transaction value is 3.22 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.013 BTC or about 750 bucks. Block times are almost right at 10 minutes, nine minutes and 56 seconds. 0.09 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 
14 and a quarter BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And with a 16.18% drop in hash rate, we are back under 150 exahashes to 147.9 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, which somehow or another is still at 25 and a quarter US pennies. I just, it just, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Clark Moody dashboard. 5,291 transactions are waiting on three blocks to clear. We have a $1.12 trillion market cap, which is 9.5% of gold's market cap. And we can now only buy 33 ounces of shiny metal rock with the one Bitcoin, of which there are 18855000 835 and a quarter of and 3,155.6 of those are in the Lightning Network, which has a capacity value of $187.3 million. 17,224 nodes and 77,970 total payment channels. 74 and a half of or 74 and a half percent of all of that is being run over the Tor network. And the Tor Lightning side has 2,350.4 BTC in it and operating over 10,716 nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start this one back in Latin America. This time, Brazilian ride-hailing giant 99 is going to enable Bitcoin trading. Andres Engler has it for Coindesk. 99Pay, the digital wallet of Brazilian ride-hailing company 99, will enable the purchase and sale of Bitcoin on its platform, the company announced on Tuesday. Okay, let's just kind of pause there and, and take note of what's going on. So a Brazilian version of Uber initiated the release of their own wallet so that they could accept Bitcoin. And now, now they're going to get into the trading game. You're a ride hailing service, dude. Please, let's just see. This is what I, 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 I got to say it. If you're going to start a business doing X, then get really good at doing X and stop getting into Y, A, B, C, and I, F, G, and all that shit. It just, it, I, I mean, I know, I get, it makes sense when you want to make money, but I, I don't know, man. It just, like, I, I don't want to go one of these days to Brazil and go into 99EAT as a subsidiary company to go eat some Brazilian meats, right? I, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to have like everything branded, like, like, will I be sleeping on 99 sheets and go eat at 99 eat while I use 99 pay while I use the service 99 to come pick me up in a car to take me to all these places. See, I, I mean, probably while, why I never was a billionaire, I don't know, whatever users of 99 pay will be able to execute commission-free transactions with a minimum purchase amount of 10 Brazilian rias and a maximum of a 10,000 equivalent to $1,800 us starting November the 3rd 99 pay part of the Chinese vehicle for hire company, DD Shujing said that the platform will deliver Bitcoin cash back promotions as well. The initiative comes amid rapidly increasing interest in cryptocurrency among Brazilians. According to data published by the country's central bank in October, Brazilians have acquired $4.27 billion worth of cryptocurrency so far in 2021. On the legislative front, Brazil's Congress plans to discuss a bill that would regulate crypto companies. Well, of course. Brazil's 99 is a ride-hailing food delivery and financial services company founded 2012. Oh, my God. It was acquired by Didi, the Chinese equivalent of Uber, for $1 billion in 2018. The 99Pay platform has 20 million active users, according to the company. 99 launched its digital wallet in July of 2020 within its app and introduced a 99Pay standalone app last week. Users won't be able to use Bitcoin to pay for trips on 99 because the cryptocurrency will first have to be switched to fiat. 99Pay Executive Director Mauricio Orsolino Filo told Coindesk. Orsolino Filo 
added that the company implemented the Bitcoin trading feature following research conducted at the company's request that showed strong demand for the service. According to the data, 81% of Brazilian digital bank users already know or have heard of cryptocurrencies and 54% don't invest in digital assets but have shown interest in entering the market. In 2020, Didi told Coindesk it was forming a task force to design and run a trial of China's central bank digital currency on its transportation platform, Brazil Runaway. You don't want to have jack shit to do with this company, although you know what's going to happen? China's going to, this is, this is how China is going to infiltrate different countries. If we lose Brazil, we've got a fucking problem. We cannot lose Brazil, but you know, that's not up to me. That's up to all of us working in, in, in some kind of concert together with some kind of identifiable goal, none of which I have to tell you right now. All I do know is that this is China's CBDC entry point into the Americas. And if we let it happen, it's going to spread like a fucking virus. And you think COVID's bad, you wait for the death and destruction this shit will cause because it's going to suck. Speaking of suck, we've got this one out of Bitcoin Magazine. Nick Hoffman's writing it. Bitcoin Exchange FTX buys a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> well, that's right. Will they promote Doge? I don't know. <laughs> anything's, with Sam Bankman fried, anything's possible at this point. Today, Bloomberg reported that Bitcoin Exchange giant FTX purchased an ad slot for the upcoming Super Bowl LVI, whatever the hell that is. I don't know what number it is because I don't watch the Super Bowl anymore. Anyway, it will be on February the 13th, 2022 at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. The exchange did not provide a comment of how much the ad was purchased for or what the content will consist of. Quote, we're inviting everyone to check it out and, and here to help them upon their journey. There is no bigger, more mainstream event to share a message like that than the Super Bowl, Bankman Fried said. Our message throughout this year has been that crypto is safe, accessible, and ready for the mainstream. The Super Bowl is one of the most viewed sporting events that there is, with just over 96 million viewers watching the latest Super Bowl LV. I guess that's 50. This is the main reason behind FTX purchasing this ad, to take advantage of all eyes that will be watching. NFL legend Tom Brady has already expressed his interest in the exchange, purchasing an equity stake in the company earlier this year. FTX seems to be trying to cover all bases in sports after partnering with NBA legend Steph Curry, as well as buying the rights to, well, the Miami Heat's home court and renaming it to the FTX arena. They have also become the official exchange of Major League Baseball. Earlier this year, FTX raised $900 million in a Series B fundraise to become the largest raise by any exchange in history. I, I don't like Sam Bateman fried, but I got to I got it. I got to hand it to the dude, man. I mean, fucking hats off, bro. That's a lot of money to raise. That's a lot of money to raise. So the question becomes, will it be a Bitcoin ad or will it be a shitcoin ad? Or will it be a mixture of both? I'm going for the last. I think it's going to be a mixture of Bitcoin and shitcoin. So don't be surprised when that ad comes on and they start talking about God, you know, God forbid Ethereum. So, eh, you know, it is what it is. We're just going to have to stomach, stomach our way through it. However, if it's a purely shitcoin ad, you know what to do. Uh, you fry them on, on every, everywhere that you can fry, fry Sam Bankman fried on. Please fry that motherfucker. Dubai Finance Watchdog approves listing of Bitcoin fund. Arnold Kirimi is writing this one for Cointelegraph. The Bitcoin fund... A closed-end investment vehicle based in Canada has received regulatory approval from the Dubai Financial Services Authority. The fund debuted on NASDAQ on June 23, 2021 and became the first listed digital asset fund in the Middle East. The fund's goal is to provide investors with exposure to Bitcoin and the daily price changes of Bitcoin in United States dollars as well as long-term capital appreciation. The fund is a diversified portfolio of digital assets that invests in Bitcoin and U.S. dollar-denominated money market instruments. A report by Trade Arabia states that the Bitcoin fund is now in a position to list up to $200 million worth of units on NASDAQ Dubai following its approval by the DFSA. This allows the region's first crypto-based product, which is listed on a regulated platform to satisfy growing demand from institutional investors. 
The Bitcoin fund will be available to investors of all levels from big banks to individual traders. Over the last four months, Bitcoin has surged in value, reaching a new all-time high of $66,000 this week. The world's number one digital currency is continuing to outperform expectations thanks to growing institutional adoption and renewed enthusiasm among retail investors. NASDAQ Dubai is the first official stock exchange in the Middle East to offer this new service which is part of its commitment to embracing fintech. The DFSA is attempting to establish itself as an innovative regulator for the region by focusing on fresh technology and innovative financial solutions that may help drive economic growth. God, sounds like suit speak. As reported by Cointelegraph, the DFSA recently announced new rules for crypto asset investments. So there you go. We're at, and now it's all in Dubai. Well, it's not all in Dubai, but Dubai looks like they're going all in on this whole thing. So another nation drops. And of course, so does the Bitcoin price. See, this is what I'm saying. I read these things and in the back of my mind, I'm like, why the hell did we drop from $66,000 a coin to under $60,000 a coin when all this stuff is going on? I mean, how much news can you sell, bro? I, I get it. You, you buy the rumor, you sell the news, but we're we're literally living in where every day there are multiple stories about adoption. So every time one of these stories comes out, it's like, oh, well, shit, news came out. We've got to sell. I don't get it. I think that that's, I think we're entering a phase where the pattern of sell the news is probably going to die and get people really wrecked, but not as wrecked as this kid. British police sees $2.7 million worth of Bitcoin from a 17-year-old teenager. Scott Cipollina has it for Decrypt.co. British police have seized $2.7 million worth of Bitcoin from a 17-year-old boy who has not been identified for legal reasons in Lincolnshire, England. The boy set up a fake website as part of what he was described as a sophisticated cyber fraud and used $8,900 worth of stolen vouchers to buy Bitcoin. He was given a 12-month rehabilitation order by the Lincoln Crown Court. The fake website set up by the teenager in April of 2020 was a near-carbon copy of Love to Shop, a website that sells gift cards and vouchers. Quote, people were duped into clicking on his website thinking they were accessing the, the official site, says Sam Skinner, prosecutor of the case. The police investigation found a total of 48 Bitcoin, a share of other cryptocurrencies, and over 12,000 credit card numbers on the teenager's computer and the details of an additional 197 PayPal accounts. He admitted to charges of money laundering and fraud, and Judge Katrina Knight said that if he was an adult, he would be going inside. This is not the first time Bitcoin has made its way into the British court system. In March of this year, five individuals were charged in a $27 million Bitcoin fraud case. It lasted two years and saw five individuals make use of a loophole in a company called CoinSport, operated by Australian firm Casey Block Services, to commit fraud. Quote, this has been a long-running investigation involving a vast amount of money, millions of pounds, said Malcolm Shirewood, prosecutor of the case at the time. In April, two men were jailed after using dark web sites to purchase cocaine from South America, a trade that earned them over $4.8 million. 17 years old, dude. 17 years old, 48 Bitcoin. And he's, I, I guess he's not going to go to jail, but holy smokes, dude. Be careful out there. Be, be very careful out there. In fact, just don't spend your Bitcoin. If you can, if you can at all avoid it, just, just don't spend it. And let's see. Oh, let's, oh man, page not found. Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. I, I was able to find the page. Tom Farron from Cointelegraph says, says European Central Bank announces digital Euro advisory group members. Oh boy. Here we go. The European Central Bank has announced the formation of a market advisory committee for the purposes of exploring the infrastructural and circulation potential of the digital euro from the perspective of industry spearheads. Let's pause. Can, can we all say it together? Cartel. Say it with me. Cartel. The group, or cartel, also aims to uncover the digital euro's optimal function within the pan-European currency's vast payments ecosystem. 
The group includes a number of well-established experts from the banking and financial sector, including Alexander Kurtzkowski, Managing Director of Bank Art, Antonio Masias Vecino, Head of Payments Discipline at BBVA, and Alex Schaefer, Payment Regulation and Innovation Specialist at Inca Group, or IKEA, I guess, among others. It is expected that initial consultation meetings will commence in November 2021 and will operate on a monthly basis. The 30 members will work in advisory roles and report their findings for consideration in retail payments discussions with the Euro Retail Payments Board. In mid-July this year, the Governing Council of the ECB disclosed plans to commence a two-year preliminary research initiative into the feasibility of the Digital Euro project, assessing parameters such as infrastructure creation, distribution, and design with an assured intention to complement cash, not replace it. Bullshit. ECB board member Fabio Panetta expressed his high expectations for the project's success. Quote, I am pleased that many high-quality experts from the private sector are willing to contribute to the Digital Euro project. I, I can't imagine why, cartel. Their expertise will facilitate the integration of prospective users and distributors' views on a Digital Euro during the investigation phase, end quote. Over the past year, the ECB has made progressive steps in its pursuit of a digital euro, an initiative that implies its desire to foster growth within the digital asset space. However, the institution has also expressed, seemingly paradoxically, concerns around the rapid advancement of the space, with its vice president claiming that crypto has, quote, very weak fundamentals in a May 2021 interview. In an interview with the World Economic Forum in early September, Christine Lagarde, the felon from France, and president of the ECB scrutinized the vague categorization of dollar peg digital assets within the crypto sphere, concluding that stable coins are pretending to be a coin, but in truth are completely associated with an actual currency. Coupling this assessment, she advised that assets of this nature should be checked, supervised, regulated to ensure transparency, liquidity, and operation that best support the safety of the consumer. Bullshit. Okay, bullshit. Anything that these people say is complete bullshit. They're doing it again, and they're doing it right in front of our eyes, and they're getting in as, I mean, they, they probably should have gotten in earlier, but they waited until now. However, don't be fooled. Even these assholes are still early. When we say you're still early to Bitcoin, yeah, that includes these people. These people are going to form their cartels like they always form their cartels. I don't know how to stop this human behavior I, I just don't. There's, there's apparently nothing that the masses of humanity can do against a very few individuals. Not without some serious bloodshed. And, I mean, I'm just saying, that, that's just the truth. I don't want violence to happen, but this is like, it's, it's, it, it's Archer all over again. Did you want violence? Because this is how you get violence. This is exactly how you get violence. You get violent revolt in the street, after peaceful revolt in the street does not affect a fucking thing. You get, you get revolutions because violent revolts in the street didn't do anything either. At what point do these people just say, you know, I don't know. This is what I don't understand about human nature. And I guess it's because I'm a simple guy. I don't want to be complex. I don't want a complex life. I don't want a Lambo that needs $50,000 timing chains on it. I, I don't want 12 houses in the south of France and four yachts that I have to keep up with. I don't want to hire the goddamn staff to keep up with them for me because that means I got to keep up with these people. There's, I mean, honestly, the, the delegation around being fabulously wealthy just, in my opinion, seems to be a giant pain in the ass. The only reason that I even want any amount of money is to go buy land so that I can get away from all of this bullshit. And yes, I know that half of you are saying, but they'll just take it away from you. Well, at one point or another, guns come ablazing. They just do. And at one point, something's going to snap. I keep saying it. I keep thinking that something's going to snap. And it just, it, like, I just keep seeing the stick bend and bend and bend. And you just think it's going to break. And it doesn't. But eventually it does. How do I know? History. 
the American, the early, well, actually they weren't American at the time, but before the American Revolution, those people snapped. And they kicked the British out of the United States and then America was born. India snapped and they kicked the British out of India. I, this happens and it will happen again. So just be prepared. Let's do our last one. And this is going to be NFTville, but uh, it's going to be rather even more evil than you can possibly imagine because Adobe Photoshop feature is going to support NFT verification on marketplaces. If you don't know what Adobe Photoshop is, Adobe is one of the largest graphics companies in the world and has been for at least 20 years. Do not put this story to bed. All right, Adobe is huge. And this is out of Corndesk. It's written by Eliza Kritsky, I guess is how you pronounce it. The creator of the world's most popular digital creator software, Adobe, is angling toward non-fungible tokens. A new feature on Adobe Photoshop will allow artists to prove that they are the creators of artwork on NFT marketplaces, according to an Adobe blog post. Content credentials, as the feature is called, can capture identity data as an image is edited on the software and stored it as metadata. The feature is optional, and the company has launched a website where the credential metadata of images can be verified. Users can link their Adobe accounts and content credentials with social media profiles or crypto wallets. If they then sell their art as NFTs, the marketplaces will be able to show a digital certificate based on Adobe verified credentials. If this isn't raising the hackles on the back of your neck yet, then I don't know what will. The credentials will also be linked on Behance, Adobe's online portfolio site. Adobe has partnered with NFT marketplaces, Known Origin, OpenSea, Rarables, and SuperRare to display their credentials on their platforms. By the end of the month, Photoshop will have a prepare as NFT feature powered by the interplanetary file system, Adobe Chief Product Officer Scott Belsky told The Verge. The feature will be available in preview as it is not ready yet, he said. Adobe is responding to consumer demand, Belsky said. Artists complain that even if they mint their art made on Adobe software as NFTs, others can mint imitations of their art and there is no way to prove who the original creator is, he explained. The content credentials feature is being rolled out to Photoshop users in beta mode. The features were announced during Adobe Max, the company's annual conference, and that I saw was happening yesterday. Okay, guys, here's, the, here's one of the reasons why I'm bringing this to you. I know, I, for most of the NFTs in existence today, I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. That's why not a billionaire and I don't have to worry about the headaches of four yachts. That said, Adobe has increasingly become evil. Here's the way this works. Back in the day, when I first started getting into, you know, graphic design and, and doing stuff with Photoshop and After Effects and Premiere Pro, we were at like what was called Adobe CS3, or I think that stood for uh, Creative Suite. I think CS stands for Creative Suite. And then there was CS4 and CS5 and CS6. After CS6, basically you could no longer buy the product from Adobe anymore. You had to rent it. And it all, basically all credentialing went online. So whenever you now fire up Adobe Photoshop, you're asking and requesting a central server for a license that you do not hold on your own machine, as far as I can tell. And I know because at least the last iteration of the Adobe Suite software that I, uh, that I installed at Texas Tech on the laboratory machines I was in control of, I did not have access to licensing. I could not put the license on our own license server and host that license within our own doors. It went basically and, and, and grabbed it from Adobe. Now, link up your identity, your social media, uh, your crypto wallet, okay? Link all that shit up and then link it to the license that you pull from Adobe central servers. And you see just how frightening this can be. Even for like, even though I don't like NFTs, what I don't like more is the loss of identity. You should be able to create an NFT and sell your stupid ape 
without anybody knowing who you actually are. And guess what? This is going to tell people who you actually are. And if Adobe doesn't keep that shit under wraps, and they probably won't because they'll probably get hacked, then the identities, the true identities and payment information of those people that created NFTs and use the Adobe platform to do so will be leaked. It will be leaked. You will be found out. If you're trying to remain anonymous as an NFT creator and you're using Adobe Creative Suite or whatever the the new Adobe is actually called, good luck, because it ain't gonna happen. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. God, it's already Wednesday, and as such, I cannot let you go without a joke. Can somebody please tell me what the lowest rank in the Army is? And every time I ask that question, people always tell me it's private. (laughs) That was a bad joke. (laughs) That was horrible, but completely a dad joke. Um, so we are at the hour mark. You know what? I've already said my spiel about uh, supporting the show up front, but help support the show. It would be cool. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.